Everybody Needs to Eat Lunch with Jordan Ostroff, episode 72. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Profit with Law. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and today I bring to you another amazing guest interview with a gentleman by the name of Jordan Ostroff. He's an attorney down in Florida. And before I get into talking about Jordan, I just want to share with you something I mentioned on the podcast on Tuesday that was released. And that podcast was episode was completely about dealing with the current situation with the coronavirus and social distancing uh, and what kind of effects that might be having on your firm and on your ability to do business. And because of what's going on right now, there's two initiatives that we're working on here at Profit With Law. And the first is we had planned on creating a membership called The Incubator, the Law Firm Growth Incubator, intended and aimed at the firms who are just getting started. So firms who are in the maybe less than 100,000 or less than 150,000 revenue range, where you're not in the position to outsource your marketing, outsource your your tech, outsource your system and process creation. You really kind of need to do everything yourself as a firm owner. And rather than you needing to try to figure out which direction to go and, and what you need to learn and what's important and what's not important, we wanted to give you some guidance there. So we're creating this membership that you can basically get all of the education that you need for running a firm when you are the person who's doing everything. And we were not quite ready to release it, but because of what's going on right now, we know that a lot of you are hurting, are wondering you know, what's next, and we wanted to provide support for you. So we wanted to get this thing started early. And in order to do that, because there isn't anything there yet, and we're just going to start off with some live support calls every month, until that content is built out, instead of the 150 a month that it's going to be eventually, we're offering it to the first 50 people who join for $27 a month. So if you're interested in that, if this is uh, if the, if you're in this category and you want to uh, give it a spin, give it a whirl, check it out. Come and join us for $27 a month. And what I'm going to tell you is is that. Uh, right now, there's nothing there. You're gonna, you'll go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash incubator. You'll put in your credit card information. You'll get charged 27 bucks, and it's gonna be nothing that you get. However, as early as next week, we will start to have those support calls for you. The goal is to have a call a week. Uh, whether we'll be at a call a week right away, I I don't know. But I what I do know is is that if after a month you want to get out 
it's not for you, I'll refund that first $27 back to you as well. So I, I am sure that you're going to get far more value than what this is, what the charge is. And I want to reward those who are our early adopters. Um, and also because it's not a fully uh, fleshed out product, I just don't feel comfortable trying to promote it at the price that it's going to be at eventually. And the nice thing is, is you'll get locked into that price for good. So as long as you want to stay a member, that's what you're going to pay that $27 a month. So again, go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash incubator, profitwithlaw.com forward slash incubator. Join us there. We're going to have our first support call next week. And if I could pull it off uh, and make it work, it's going to be all about what you can do right now, even if there are no clients to be had, to set yourself up for success with marketing efforts that you can do now that's going to set the foundation for when this thing turns around to have that book of business pick right up uh, and get into action. So that being said, that's one thing we have going on. The second thing that we have going on is we have a series of live streams we're going to be kicking off starting on Monday. And those live streams, uh, I'm going to go through the topics real quick. So there's 10 of them over the course of the next two weeks that we've mapped out. And if this thing continues for longer, we're, we may continue to do these daily for you. Now, unfortunately, because of my schedule and trying to accommodate people in different time zones, uh, we've varied the start time for it. So you're going to have to go and check it out to see if the times work for you. But starting on Monday, uh, these are the topics we're going to be covering. Serving clients while social distancing, managing stress and staying positive, marketing strategies to put you ahead, employees, how to keep them, working with uh, working from home with kids, tools and technology for law firm survival, managing a cash crunch, getting new clients today, projects you've always wanted to get to, staying healthy and performing self-care. Those are the 10 topics we have lined up right now. If you have a topic that you would love to see us uh, uh, bring onto these live streams and, and talk about, you have a challenge that you're working through that uh, might be helpful for others as well, definitely drop us an email at info at dreambuilderfinancial.com. Now, I'm going to be dropping a bunch of links and a bunch of emails and all of that throughout this episode. So uh, always, you can go to the show notes page to get those links. Uh, everything's going to be linked up for you. And you get there at profitwithlaw.com forward slash 072 for episode 72, profitwithlaw.com forward slash 072. We also try to um, have everything clickable in the description of the show. That's a fairly new feature that the podcast players have. Uh, it, As far as I know, it works for me on my phone, and hopefully it works for you on yours. So you might not even have to go to the website. You probably could just click the link from there. So if you want to get notified when we are going live for these sessions. You want to check the times and, and, and dates for these sessions. You're interested in attending these live streams in any which way, shape, or form. You definitely want to go to profitwithlaw.com forward slash COVID, C-O-V-I-D, profitwithlaw.com forward slash COVID, and that will take you to a page where we've got all of this mapped out. You've got your dates, your times, the topics, and you can put in your name and email address there. And uh, what we'll do is, is we'll email you 
for when each of these goes live. And we'll also send you an email with instructions of how to connect to them. So uh, we're going to be trying to multicast this on different social platforms. I don't know if the tech is all going to work in our favor, but we'll give you instructions in that email of how to attend these live sessions. I'm really excited about this opportunity. We have some great experts coming onto the show with us. So uh, we're going to be doing those live streams live, which means that there'll probably be a time for a Q&A at the end of each one where you can actually ask the experts who are on about the topic at hand. So uh, we're here to support you. And uh, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity to, to join with us and and get uh, help us get you through this current crisis. So we're about to go live here with the interview with Jordan Ostroff. Let me just tell you briefly what we're going to talk about and a little bit about Jordan. So Jordan uh, really likes to analyze, do the analytics uh, in marketing. He started a marketing company called Legalese Marketing that was a byproduct of him needing to really figure out how to successfully market his own law firm. Interestingly, his wife is an attorney too. They're partners in the firm. And Legalese Marketing serves clients that have $5,000 a month or more in their marketing budget. If you have less than $5,000 in your budget, definitely listen because I asked Jordan that exact question about three quarters of the way through the interview to basically ask him his advice for somebody who does not have that budget, can't outsource to somebody to somebody else, you know, what what should they do? with their marketing. So this is a fun conversation. I like Jordan a lot. We connected very well. And I think you're going to really enjoy the content of this episode. I think it's I think it's going to hit home for a lot of you. Uh, marketing is always something that we want to learn more about, uh, perhaps we're struggling with. We we definitely want to figure out how to bring in more clients. Business development intake is is always a big a big deal. So whenever I can have a marketing expert on the podcast, I think it's great. Even if sometimes they might have conflicting information, uh, each one has something to share that you can glean value from. So let me give you the the official intro, the official uh, bio here for Jordan. I'll read it off. And then uh, without wasting any more of your time, I'm going to introduce Jordan and bring him on here. Jordan Ostroff started Jordan Law Firm in 2015 with a goal to do things a different way. Uh, After years as a prosecutor, he saw some really excellent attorneys, but saw way fewer of them really leveraging technology and systems to build a great business. As this idea continued to snowball, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on back advertising and was left with two options. Really commit to this plan and learn how to market as well, or quit and go do something else. Over the next few years, he built the firm from just him in a one small office to a team of 10 across Central Florida. He then started working with other lawyers to help train them on systems and marketing and eventually rolled out Legalese Marketing, a holistic law marketing company that focuses not on leads, but on hired clients and consistency in the law firm experience. When he's not running one of those companies, Jordan spends a lot of time with his wife and son at SeaWorld, the Science Center, or just digging in the dirt outside. Uh, Jordan has a good sense of humor. Some of it may have come out in in this episode, but I see a lot of it in, online. I interact with him socially, so uh, I am looking forward to your feedback on this show. Enjoy it. Here is that interview with Jordan. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. 
It's absolutely my pleasure. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with me. I came across you in one of the uh, amazing Facebook groups out there for law firm owners. And something that you said or, or were doing triggered me to reach out to you and say, hey, let's chat on the show. And now that you're here, I'd like to know more about you, and I'm sure my audience would as well. So let's just start off with the basics. Just give me a little bit of an insight into your journey as a lawyer, uh, becoming a law firm owner, and also this legalese marketing. Like, what, what is it and how did it come about? So I, I, I might have thrown too much at you there with that one question, but give us, paint the broad strokes for us. You want me to tell the story of me? You know, I think that uh, as a lawyer and a business owner, if you can't talk about yourself, then maybe you need to find a different profession. So... Um, so for me, I grew up in South Florida, came up to Orlando to go to the University of Central Florida, haven't left Orlando since, just you know, fell in love with the town, went to law school here, was a prosecutor here, got married here, had my firm here, etc. So for me, you know, I knew the whole time that I wanted to be a prosecutor, even before I knew what that meant. I had no idea what being a lawyer actually was, but I, once I found out, I really liked the courtroom atmosphere and uh, the litigation experience. And so while I was prosecuting, you know, I was coming in, I was like 24 at the time. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I'm going to keep Orlando safe. I'm going to have all these terrible people that really need to be, you know, put on the right side of the law. And then you realize that everybody is poor. They move too much. They missed this mail. Their license got suspended, you know, something along those lines. And so I don't want to say I got jaded because I think that's a little, you know, too overbroad, but I definitely realized that we're dealing with human people that really needed to be helped just as much as they needed to be punished and sometimes needed to be held more. And so I got to meet some really awesome attorneys. Um, one of them, you know, offered me some office space when I was ready to make the jump. A couple of them took me under their wing, showed me what to do. And then um, eventually I wanted to grow from there. So that's kind of where legalese comes in. I, I worked with a bunch of different marketing companies that didn't know what it meant to be a lawyer, didn't know our ethics rules, didn't help me figure out my ideal client, didn't spend the money well. And so, you know, you throw a hundred to $200,000 sort of out the window and you really want to figure out why you made those mistakes. And so we've grown the firm from just me. Now we've got uh, five attorneys taking cases all over central Florida. And then we started the marketing company so we can take a lot of the stuff that works for us and bring it out to other lawyers so that hopefully we can make a, an easier success story of other lawyers than I had myself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and marketing is just something that, um, I mean, every business owner struggles with the right marketing for them, but I think law firm owners specifically struggle with marketing, navigating which is the right step and when is the right time to bring on uh, a marketing agency. But going back to your story real quick, I have a question before we, we jump into maybe perhaps a marketing discussion. Uh, and that is how long were you a solo before, before you grew beyond that? Well, so really I was never a solo. My wife's a lawyer. So we actually mm -hmm. met in court on opposite sides. And so when I opened the firm, I owned half and she owned half, but she was teaching civics at the time. So I had sort of like a night and weekend backup attorney, even from day one. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we found out that being a teacher in, at least in Orlando, is like the worst job you could have. Right. Uh, she felt a lot safer as a public defender than she did as a teacher. Um, and so by, before the end of her first year, she came on to, the, to you know, full time. And then we had about 30 teachers that she was working with begged to be her paralegal or legal assistant a receptionist, you know, whatever it was that they could come with her to, you know, work somewhere else. So you, so you started with a 32 person firm, right? <laughs> Jobs for everybody. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, that's an interesting, interesting um, 
piece of information there that uh, you started this with your wife and the two of you still working together now? Still working together, happier with each other than we were when we first started, still married, got a two-year-old through all two this. Sep- two uh, separate offices? Uh, well, so, I mean, I have, I have my room and she has her room in the same building, but yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful. I know you work with your wife as well, right? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how well, well that works. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my, we, we, we're in the same place because I work from home. She works from home, but she actually doesn't, uh, she doesn't work for me. She's a probation officer. So she's oh, okay. on the, she's on the phone talking to, you know, convicted felons and, and, you know, and whatnot and, and, and doing background checks on them. And I'm having a conversation with a client and, you know, if that bleeds over, it's just, it goes for a very interesting, you know, background, uh, uh, sound, sound effect for, you know, for, for whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's, you know, I, I try to do my, like my podcast recording and, and video recording, anything that I'm doing that like is sensitive to that, try to do all of that on days that she's not working from home. Uh, Makes sense. uh, But yeah, I'm in I'm in the same the same space as her, and for me, it's challenging. And and I you know I love her and I love hanging out with her. But when I'm trying to get work done, I you know I want to I want to be in in that mode and don't necessarily want to deal with whatever might come up because we happen to be in the house, we happen to be in the same place, you know. Um, But that's I don't think you're are you working from home or you have you're in an office building. Yeah, no. So we have uh, we have our own building. It's it's an old house. It'll be about I think actually this year it'll be a hundred years old. Wow. So it's a nice it's a nice setup. We used to since having a child two years ago now. It's like impossible to work from home. You know, you need that right. separation, and then it doesn't bleed over as much. So I my hat goes off to you to be able to juggle those things because for me I would just be stuck on my phone all day, not ever really engaging my wife. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely. It's definitely a challenge, but I don't know that I want to focus this interview on that topic. We certainly can 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 cover that, but I want to get back to what I think uh, our listeners are going to be more interested in hearing about, which is uh, your journey into not just not just marketing and understanding marketing, but starting a marketing firm behind it. And and that's an interesting path to take, I guess. A lot of people, when they get enough knowledge about something, you, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, you know, just a, of that mindset, you're like, okay, well, I, now that I know this, why don't I offer this for somebody else? What did that journey look like? What were the wrong turns, like the biggest wrong turns that you took with marketing? And what do you do differently with your clients today that you wish you would have known when you started out? So let me, let me flip that question the opposite way because it's easier to answer it that way. Mm-hmm. Biggest thing really that we do more than anything else is we will train and teach people about marketing. And so I'm convinced that you're going to have a better answer to your marketing needs than I can ever come up with. But I know the 10 or 15 questions that we need to ask so that we can really drill it all down to what's going to make the most sense for you with your clients, with your type of law, with your industry, with your area, all those things. So because my biggest problem was everybody was more than happy to take my money none of them really wanted to know what I really wanted. You know, okay, we'll give you more leads. Great. But they're people that don't have money. They're in the wrong area of town. They're the wrong kind of leads. You know, they didn't care because we weren't on the same page and I don't totally blame them. I mean, the biggest thing for me is I didn't really, I didn't know what I wanted with enough specificity to make sure that they were doing the right thing. Um, But I went through, you know, more than half a dozen different agencies 
as well as Avo and Nolo and direct mail. I mean, we tried everything. And now thankfully, you know, about three, three and a half years later into the firm, I'm finally paid off most of the debt associated with those things. Wow. So, so not only did you take wrong turns, but you actually went into debt for it and you're, you, you were, you're, you were still paying the piper three years later. Right. So, and you know, it catches up and then, you know, you sign any long-term contracts or, you know, or you're financing some of it on, we were at one point we were sending out, you know, tens of thousands of direct mail pieces every so often and just not getting the right return on it and not getting the right clients and then mm-hmm. had to get too large to be able to handle the volume to not make the money off of it. So it just, you know, it, it amazed me how easy it was to not necessarily get it over my head because thankfully we didn't have those problems, but just to kind of go off the rails from creating the firm that I wanted. And then right. finally, once I sat back down and, and instead of me fitting the firm, I made the firm fit me, realized that a lot of these skills were transferable to other lawyers and so we spent most of 2019, um, I picked about six or seven attorneys local and in a couple other states. And then on January 1st, we opened up the doors to you know everybody else once we were confident in our platform, I guess. Right. Yeah. One of the things that, that I harp on all the time uh, in podcasts, on, when I'm doing coaching, when I'm having conversations with people, free coaching sessions, is the need to hone in on, on a very particular niche that you're going to serve. And what I tell people uh, when I do that is I tell them for nothing, for nothing else, forget running your firm, forget serving your clients, just on the front end of being able to get the client that you want, you have to know who you're targeting. You have to know who you're talking to, because if you try to talk to everybody, you end up talking to nobody. And this is a concept that a lot of people just have a hard time wrapping their head around. Like, why can't I just put a billboard up and, and hope that, you know, people are going are gonna to come? It sounds like that was your experience. It sounds like uh, what the, the process you've worked out is to help people hone in and identify who is it that they want to work with. So can you take me through that process a little bit? What, how do you help your clients? Te- how do you help tease that out of your clients? How do you help them figure out? who they work with. Cause my guess is that many of them are coming to the conversation, not only not having that defined, but, but not even knowing what that is because they've done it the other way for so long. Well, so the short answer is, I mean, there are people that we just won't work with because they're not, they're not willing to focus. I mean, if you've got, you know, so I'm in Orlando, we've got John Morgan over here, Morgan and Morgan. If you've got their budget, great. We can market to everybody, but that isn't the case. I mean, we'll have people that come to us and they've got, you know, $1,000 to spend, $2,000 to spend, and they want to market to three different areas of law in three different counties. Right. We're just like, Look, that's just not feasible because I can't give you the right return because we're not focused enough. So the biggest thing, you know, obviously we ask them about their area of practice. You know, what area of law do you want to grow? What, do you, what area of law are you the best at? What do you have the systems in place for? And then we try and get as detailed as we can on that. So within that area of law, who's your ideal client? I mean, yes, you're doing you know, personal injury cases, but maybe your ideal client is going to be a a 30 to 40 year old professional who's a realtor who's driving around to a bunch of showings, or, you know, you want somebody that's going to have a longer timeframe of injuries or who's going to have a better earning potential. Or if you're doing criminal defense, you know, are you targeting professionals who get DUIs? Are you targeting young kids on their first case? Are you targeting older people with, you know, white collar type fraud cases? And then from there, we can kind of work backwards into where's that person going to go to find you? Are they going to go 
to the yellow pages? Are they going to go on Google? Are they going to talk to a teacher? Are they going to talk to their best friend and then try and figure out the right marketing strategy for you based upon where the ideal client is going to try to find you? Right. So I want to point out, folks, uh, I don't know if you picked up on it, but in the example that Jordan just gave us, like let's say DUI, he gave examples of different types of people, same crime. So it, you know, you're, you're not only is your practice here criminal law, not only is your specialty DUI, but your target market is even more uh, defined than that. It could be a first time offender. It could be a, a professional, uh, you know, well-to-do professional uh, who's getting that DUI, or it could be somebody who's, you know, on their third or fourth offense. Right. So even that level of specificity, Jordan, if I got this right, even that level of specificity is what's required for you to have a good and successful marketing campaign. Did I get that right? Uh, for the most part, yes. I mean, again, if you've got a, if you've got fifty thousand dollars to spend, I can hit all three of those people. But if you really want to do this for, you know, let's say five grand a month, then the more specific we're going to get, the better we're going to be able to use that because we're going to look at the, dem you know, we can look at the demographics across Facebook versus Instagram versus LinkedIn. We can look at, you know, running ads there. We can look at what the Google clicks are going to be and whatnot, but the more specific you get, the cheaper it is to hit those people or the more you're able to hit them for the same amount of, I shouldn't say, shouldn't say hit when we're dealing with criminal defense, the more you can target them, the more you can show up in their feed. You know, they talk about the average person hires you based upon five to seven points of contact and it may be driving down I-4 looking at the billboard every day to and from work, but that's not going to be realistic for most people. I mean, you're not going to have the $50,000 to spend every month to get 10 billboards. You're going to put up one that nobody's going to come across enough. Yeah. I actually talk in one of my episodes about there's a particular attorney that's got billboards, billboards all over. I'm in the New York area. So all around the New York City, like the, uh, the, the suburbs, all the highways, there's billboards literally all over the place with this attorney's name on it. It just has his name and it says attorney at law. It doesn't say anything about what he does. doesn't have a phone number, you know, and it gets me every time that I see it. I'm like, how many people are actually looking up this guy's name and looking to see what he does? Like it, it's got to be the biggest waste of a marketing budget, I could, you know, possible to have all. I mean, it's literally everywhere. There's got to be hundreds of these billboards. And uh, no content your, No, nothing. Just his name and attorney at law. Okay. So I, I would love to, I mean, maybe one day I'll reach out to him and contact him and see if I can get him on the show. I'd love to know, you know, how that campaign is paying off and, you know, I don't, who knows, maybe he had a big accounts receivable and the person paid him off a billboard ads, you know, <laughs> you never know. Even then, if they're not worth it, you know, I'd right. rather, I'd rather have nothing than, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole point of marketing is to not make people have to make more work to determine that they want to hire you. It's to get right. them you know, to get them pre-sold on you and then to get them to contacting you when they're ready to buy. And it seems like that's more, way more complicated than it's worth. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even if you, if nothing else, put your practice area on there, you know, like put what, what kind of attorney you are, but anyway, I, I, I digress. So <laughs> going back to our conversation where we were talking about, you know, specificity of marketing and as, as it relates to budget, uh, you threw out some examples about the different places that you would market. Is your focus primarily on digital marketing, on social and, and, uh, and, and Google and, and stuff like that? What else do you deal with when it comes to marketing? So we actually take a holistic approach 
And my, our ideal client, like I'm going to set up Lawmatics as, as an intake system for them. And then that way we can track not only the total leads, but which of those hire. And then it's easier for them to follow through the case the whole way through. So by tracking that, then we're seeing like, all right, you're going to get 15 leads from this Google ad. From this Google ad, you only get six. But on the one you get six, all six hire. On the one you get 15, you're only signing up three. So you're spending so much more time to weed through it. Um, and so we're not necessarily focused on it has to be Google ads or it has to be Facebook or it has to be you know anything along those lines. We're focused on working together to come up with what we think is the best opportunity for them to be successful. At the end of the day, this is an art. It's not a science. You know, nobody can guarantee that the phone's going to ring, that they're going to be great clients. But at least then we're like, all right, we took a shot. We took the right shot in the right place. And so maybe, you know, that they're looking for, um, college kids, because they do academic issues, then maybe we're targeting Instagram a lot more to put some ads over there, and then we can track through on the different UTMs, um, as well as I try to work with people to also help them build a referral base, because at the end of the day, referrals, I think, create the most long-term success. It's difficult to hit the ground running on referrals, but nothing prevents the big firm down the street from coming into your area and spending $100,000 a month on Google ads or crushing your Facebook ads, or the Florida bar just changed the, um, the, law, the lawyer requirements on running targeted ads to increase the requirements for the ads to make them almost not effective at all. You know, we want you to have that consistent base of referrals at the end, but a lot of people need money faster. So we can help you get that caseload to grow that allows you to you know, focus or follow up correctly and then track the leads to see which campaigns are getting you the best ones. Yeah. So a couple of things you said triggered some questions. So hopefully we'll, we'll get through all of them and I'll remember all of them. But the first one, first one being, so somebody comes through the door and uh, you, de you determine that, okay, our best course of action is plan A. How long does it take for, to determine if plan A is working and, and when do you switch to plan B and ask differently if somebody starts working with you or with any marketing agency, what is a good time frame for them to allow for, for things to start to work? Because my guess is, is that it's, you said it's an art, not a science. And so it's a matter of testing to see what's going to work and, and then playing with it, tweaking it. And I think that part of the problem might be people giving up too quickly. Oh, I hired you to do marketing right. three months. The phone hasn't rang. So you're not doing a good job. I'm going to go find another person. In the meantime, had they waited three more months, maybe the phone would have been ringing off the hook. So can you, can you let, shed any light on what that looks like, the time frame from when you bring somebody in until you know, there's a good chance you're not seeing results, it's maybe it's time to move on, or this is how long you should, take it, you should expect before starting to see results? So the more data that they already have, the easier it is to do those things faster. So if we're working, I mean, we've worked with people that have run firms for as long as I've been alive. And thankfully at some point they tracked at least like a PL every month or something like that. And so we could see that, okay, March is their best month every year, June's their worst month every year. So if we're gonna run those ads from March to June, you know, we're gonna see a downturn, but if that's a, if less of a downturn than they normally see, that's better for them. Um, if you're coming in from nothing, I would say in less, well, if, if you're coming from nothing and you are the type of lawyer where your clients pay you with tax returns, then we want to shoot for about a three month window that hopefully involves the tax return season. Like right now, um, if you're doing SEO, I, I don't like people messing with SEO in less than six months. 
just because there's so many different things that we can and can't control when it comes to Google. But in terms of, you know, in terms of those ads, the Facebook ads, the Google ads, something along those lines, three months is a good time frame, And we're always going to try for the most part, I'd like to try three different plans at once. And so that might be three different ads with different wording, different language, different calls to action. And then we can track those for three months and like, all right, you know, um, ad A did nothing at all in that time frame. Great. We're done. Ad B got a lot of leads, but didn't close as much. So can we tweak it a little bit to make it sell better? Ad C didn't generate as much leads, but generated more closing people. You know, what is it about ad C that may have appealed to? Was it where we had it? Is it how we phrased it? Whatever. And then we'll just keep trying and, you know, in essence, split testing things over and over again to keep everything going as best as possible. Okay. Awesome. And what size firm at revenue or, or marketing budget is, is the beer minimum where somebody can start to hire an outside marketer? You know, if somebody's brand new out of the gate, unless they have money that they're investing in, in their firm, chances are they've got to do a more guerrilla marketing hands-on approach, which I want to ask you about separately. But at some point, it's worthwhile for them to start to invest in, in marketing and, and, and bring a marketer on board. What, what is that? Is there a key metric that they should be looking at to determine whether it's time for them? So I, it's going to be a little bit different based upon your city, based upon how you want to target. I mean, if you want to run PI ads, those are going to be a lot more expensive than running bankruptcy ads or something along those lines. I would say the ballpark's five grand a month, you know, and that's not to say that we won't work with people for less than that. And obviously the more you have over that, the more we can do with it. But I would say that's about the range that you're looking for to be able to get something going with consistency. You know, you'll have plenty of companies that will sell you SEO services for a thousand or 1500 a month, but they might be doing only one blog post. And then if you look at, you know, what's it going to take to rank in your area, you know, they may have you rank for the 700th best keyword and they can't get you, you know, close to page one for the top 600 because of what you're spending. And then you're basically throwing the money out the window because they can't do enough for that, which makes total sense. I think everybody should value their time, but I think marketing companies should be selling you on the next 30 years of your firm not on the next three to four years of you going through this contract. Right. So um, 5,000 a month in marketing budget. Is, I got that correct, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good amount that allows us to play with stuff. So if we're going to run, you know, we may run 5,000. Well, so obviously, you know, we're going to make some money, but we may run, you know, $4,500 worth of ads out of that or something along those lines. Then that's a good opportunity. You know, let's say your ads are a hundred bucks a click. Well, that's 4,500, that's 45 clicks right there. That's it. So if you're running with 2000 and I can only get, you know, 20 clicks, then maybe that's not enough for us to see what really works because one client or one hire or not hire can make a huge difference when you're talking about that right. few potential clients. Right. So uh, when I look at, you know, what I think the max marketing budget should be for, for a firm as far as a percentage of, of total revenue we're talking about you got to be at least at four or five hundred thousand dollars annual revenue to be to be looking at a marketing budget of five thousand dollars a month, and even that is very aggressive. So anybody who's below that really is it needs needs to find another way. Is that a, the correct way to look at this? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, a lot of the things we'll talk about eight to ten percent set aside for marketing. Um, I think some firms, you know, you're going to be in that growth phase where you may want to be spending fifteen percent or even, even 20, I'd be a little hesitant if you were looking at it at 20%, unless you really had a plan, like I want to run these ads for six months and, and build up. 
mm-hmm. as we're going through there. Um, but even for the attorneys less than that, you know, then the biggest thing becomes building the infrastructure in place to hit these things. So, right. you know, we'll get attorneys who are coming from a larger firm opening up their solo shop and we can do the lawmatics build out for them. And maybe they just do the intake system for a year, but now I've got data that I can track on, okay, you were generating these cases from referrals. You had this many prior clients come back to you. You had this thing going on and we can see where those numbers are as we, you know, as we keep going forward. Plus they've got the base to be able to do a lot more because once we have it set up to automate, it can automate, you know, 50 leads a month, just as easily as 500 a month, just as easily as five a month. It's all, all the systems are in, well, most of the systems are in place and that puts them in a lot better position to spend more money on advertising and then track it because they're tracking the data even before doing the advertising. Yeah, totally. Okay. So um, I got the picture and I think our, audience does too. Uh, so I'm sure that there are a number of listeners because we, we've got a diverse group that are listening to this podcast. I'm sure there are a number of listeners saying, okay, this all sounds great, but how does it help me? So somebody who's at, at the beginning stages, they're not at $500,000 a year of revenue. As a matter of fact, they might be at no revenue. They're just starting out or they're just, you know, they're just generating eight, $10,000 a month and they don't really have money for marketing. They're just kind of making ends meet on the stuff that's coming in, where, where would you tell them to focus their marketing efforts uh, to build up to that point where they can finally bring somebody on? So step one, you open a firm, you've got nothing. The best place that you can go for marketing, I think is going to be Excel or Google Sheets or something like that. And literally as cases come in, track every single one, get as many data points as you think you're going to need. So the client's name, the client's phone number, the client's email, who referred you, did they hire, did they not hire, what kind of case it was, would you quote them, something along those lines and literally just write it in there for free or 10 bucks a month or whatever it costs to have access to you know, some sort of spreadsheet like that. Um, the benefit of that's gonna be twofold. The short one is it's really easy to take that information and import it into a more definitive system later. So let's say we decide you know, you've got 5,000 prior clients and we wanna do email marketing from day one We've got all the emails there with the names. We can enter them into MailChimp or something along those lines. Um, the other thing then to actually grow is I like lunch. I don't know if you can tell from the, uh, from the video. I'm not one who says no to lunch frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's figuring out what sort of connections are going to work the best for you. I tell everybody the ideal, my ideal definition of marketing is doing what I want to do with who I want to do it with. And so sometimes that's you know going to the Orlando Magic Games, Sometimes it's grabbing lunch. Sometimes that's joining an organization that has other like-minded people in it that we can bounce ideas off of each other. So it still goes back to basically the same question as our ideal client. We're just switching it for your ideal referral source and where they're going to be. And you've got to go there for free or for as cheaply as possible. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a clip to put in our social media uh, graphics, your definition of marketing. I love that doing what I want to do with who I want to do it with or something along those lines. We'll, we'll yeah. get your exact words in there, but no, that, I, I really love that. The ideal um, marketing is doing what you want to do with who you want to do it with. Yeah. There because you go. You're going to make a million other decisions correctly. When you've overcome that, you're going to have fun in the moment. They're going to have fun. You're going to vibe. You're going to get to know each other, like each other, trust each other. You know, I see people all the time that are super introverted and they force themselves to go out to these things and they stay in the corner or they're nervous the whole time, or they don't enjoy it. And it's, you know, they're pissed off the entire time. You know, I just, it's easier to give yourself less strife. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, and that's, you know, 
how do you get somebody to launch is a whole nother question. We could even, we can go down that road. But what I tell my coaching clients is, you know, you kind of, you're, you're in this guerrilla marketing kind of phase uh, where you just kind of need to try everything and see what sticks and, and just, you know, whether it's picking up the phone, whether it's shaking hands with people at networking events, whether it's, uh, you know, just going to other attorneys who might not, be, you know, there's going to be some work that they're not interested in doing and let them send you the work that they're not interested in. You know, their, their leftovers can be your meal, uh, you know, and, and that's, you just got to get started somewhere and, and have a place for the dollars to start coming in, start creating a name for yourself and building that book of business. Some people are lucky enough to walk in with, you know, bringing clients from their previous firm and, and walk in with a book of business. But uh, if you're not and you don't have a network, uh, you just got to start creating it. And, and don't hide behind that. Oh, I don't have a network. I don't, you know, I'm an introvert. All of those things are, are really just excuses you're giving yourself to shy away from the things that you need to do to make it happen. So I want to ask you, Jordan, you mentioned Lawmatics a number of times. I understand Lawmatics is a CRM system to keep track of those sales that are coming in, uh, make sure you're not dropping the ball, stay on top of your whatever system you use to, to, to go after leads and, and, and stay, on top of, uh, stay on top of the next step and you know, make sure that you're staying in touch with them. Tell me a little bit about that system. There's others out there. I know that Clio's got one. They made a purchase and it's now Clio Grow. How do those systems compare? How do you choose Lomatics? What's the benefit of that one? Does it integrate with other applications? Just give me a little, little rundown on that piece of software itself. So I get no financial benefit from Lawmatics. What's, well, I shouldn't say that. Lawmatics gives me no direct financial benefit. I have saved thousands and thousands of dollars by using their program because I didn't have to hire more staff because we closed more cases, et cetera. Um, in eight something years of being an attorney, Lawmatics is the only program I've ever seen that was geared for attorneys that I thought, oh my God, this does more than I expected as opposed to this does way less than I expected, as opposed to they're giving me a 300% markup because this is lawyer focused, even though this is basically smoke ball, just, you know, made for lawyers when I could get smoke ball for free or almost free. Um, so what I love about Lawmatics is it does, it's, it's hardwired to do the intake, but through that, it'll automate text messages to clients. It'll automate emails to clients. Um, it also has basically the same functionality as MailChimp on the back end. So you can do your newsletters all drag and drop through it all in one system the whole way through. And then you can run any sort of custom fields you want. So you can cross reference whatever cases you want. I mean, if you want to put, you know, the zip code that this client came from, great. If you want to put the name of the chiropractor, great. If you want to put the location of the chiropractor that referred it, I mean, whatever you need, you can create any custom field the whole way through. And then you can run reports off of every custom field to see, who's sending what over what period of time, from where to where, whether they're good cases, whether they hire, whether they don't. And you can also run a case management system in there as long as you don't need hourly billing. That's like the one thing that it won't do. But a lot of estate planning attorneys will run the entire length of their practice all through Lawmatics because it'll auto-generate all the forms. It'll automate all of the getting you know, the information you need from clients. It'll do everything you need there because they don't have to do hourly billing. It's all flat fee. What's the learning process for somebody who decides, oh, that, you know, this really sounds intriguing. I want to implement it in my firm. How long will it take them to learn how to use it, implement it? Um, and and I, don't, I don't mean have it, you probably took you years to build out exactly the way that you're using it, but building it out enough that there's enough automation in there that they're getting benefit 
you know, significant benefit from it and, and it's working to their advantage. So it's, it's a steep learning curve from doing it yourself from scratch. The, because that's the flip side to having so much customization is you have to customize all of it and you need to figure out where to customize things in the right place. Uh, so that's been a long thing. And then they'll add features every now and then, which is great. It'll just make more work. So they basically added acuity functionality to it over the last couple months. You could book things before, but you couldn't schedule out certain times. You couldn't limit what days you couldn't do all those things through it. So they've added that from our standpoint though. I mean, in essence, I can make it so the attorney gets an email an hour before every consult that has all the data that's already been taken by the office staff for the intake with everything. And you just pop in whatever edits you need to it, figure out the pricing and then contracts and invoices go out automatically. So once everything's set up, the learning curve can be super easy because you can create custom intake forms. You can do instructions in that. You can do required fields. You can do contingent fields. You can make questions only come up if the intake staff picks something else. I mean, it's just insane what the program does. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I think that it's absolutely critical that you have some sort of CRM, some sort of system to not only do the tracking. I mean, you talk a lot about tracking your metrics and things like that. But in the Law Firm Growth Summit that we ran, we had a speaker, uh, Jan Roos, who talked about basically the, the hidden funnel, which is the people that are coming through as leads and are not making it through to that sales process, whether it's a consult or whatever it is, you, you have the leads coming in the door, but then somewhere something's broken and they're not actually making it to the point where you can sell them something. And those are people that the, that's happening because of a broken process, because you're either missing steps, you're dropping the ball, or you're not aggressive enough. You're not hitting them on enough points. So I love that you can email, you can text and, and have all of that automated so that you're taking out the human element of missing the step and you're just putting the humans in where they need to be, which is for the actual consult and for the actual phone call with the client, with the potential client. Well, and to make it even better than that, we have people that don't hire us, but then refer us business. You know, they went through the system, they liked it, they just weren't ready to pull the trigger, they couldn't afford it, et cetera. But then we got them on the newsletter automatically through Lawmatics that goes out anyway. And then, you know, three months later, they're like, oh my God, you know, my friend so-and-so got in a car accident. I thought you guys were great. I couldn't afford it, but I'm assuming this case is free. You know, I sent them your information. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. And that goes back to some of the uh, a newsletter is one of the more basic aspects of marketing that people think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get to that when I get to it. it. It doesn't have value for me today because I don't have anybody to send it to. But if that list grows over time and you just keep sending that newsletter out, if you're consistent about it, it's kind of like this podcast, right? If I had recorded a few episodes back in March of last year and then let it sit for six months and recorded a few more episodes, let it sit, I'd have nobody listening to it. But I came back every week and kept recording those episodes, kept putting them out week after week. And that grew my audience. People are listening to it. And eventually there's enough people listening to it that I, I have a steady flow of clients coming in for my business and I don't need to worry about it. You know, that can happen with the newsletter just from all the people that you've been exposed to. Well, did you see, to give a shout out to two other Max Law members, um, Ernie, the attorney and John Rafferty did a podcast for Ernie's uh, law firm autopilot about email marketing. Have you seen yeah, that? I, I saw them mention it. I didn't listen to it. Oh, so, so uh, John Rafferty, who's in the Max Law Group as well, put together this email. It's like legal tidbits. Literally, there might be 50 words in this email. And it's just, you know, this is an interesting case that came up. Here's three cases I'm working on. See you next month. 
and sent it out to, I think it was 200 people and ended up with like five or six hired clients on an email that took, you know, probably took three or four hours to game plan, making it so not dense, making it so specific and making it so targeted. But then, you know, to do that email the next month might only take five or 10 minutes to make those edits. So, you know, don't think that you need to put together some wonderful newsletter that's going to win all these awards. It's going to get showcased in the Louvre for being, you know, the most beautiful piece of art ever. You know, you're better off getting something that's going to appeal to your clients, keep you top of mind, you know, something along those lines, which may intentionally be shorter or more specific that may be better for them. Yeah. And, and when people are wondering like what should go into the newsletter, I like to uh, share a win for the firm. So if you have any, anything that the firm did, that's exciting to talk about, whether it's a case that was won or, uh, or even uh, just a, uh, an event you participated in or, you know, an award that you got or anything like that, something that it is shows the success of the firm and then also an educational piece. So something that would be good for whoever is getting the newsletter, something informational that they'll appreciate and say, Oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Just those two pieces of information. That's enough. Like it doesn't need to be, we call it a newsletter, but it doesn't need to be like seven articles that they have to click through and go to. It just needs to provide some level of value that somebody is interested in opening up the next one. Yeah. And, and honestly, one of the best ones that we got from our like response wise, we did like the four or five nicest pumpkin patches within an hour of Orlando. And we had like 15 people that sent us pictures of their kids at the pumpkin patch, wrote back how great it was. You know, they enjoyed the time it has absolutely nothing to do with any law, but it let me know that at least 15 people read the newsletter. Right. Absolutely. And, and it also tells you what people are interested in. Right. So, you know, I don't know what the subject line of the email was, but you know, if, if now I know that people are interested in knowing this kind of stuff, then even if most of my email is not about that, as long as I include it, that could be my subject line, which gets people to open it and, and be interested in reading the, the email. Cause the, the subject line, everything that you do has a purpose. The subject line's purpose is to get them to open. The, the right. first paragraph's purpose is to get them to read the rest of the email. The email's purpose is to get them to take the next action, whatever the desired action is. So you have to just keep that in mind. Like the first step is to get somebody interested in opening the email, which is quite, quite a battle these days. So if you can come up with ideas like that, where you know, they, they see it and they're like, hmm, this law firm is sending me this, but it's about pumpkin patches in, in Orlando. Let me check this out. You know, that's a, that's something that'll help, help in, increase your open rate. Right. Well, and so like from the marketing company side, the, uh, we're working on email news, an email, uh, ad that basically says, oh no, another stupid marketing company trying to sell me stuff as the tagline. Right. So, you know, just, I, I like zigging what other people zag. I like putting a little bit of humor into it. And I think that makes memorability as well as engagement. Yeah. Uh, my, my friend Andy Stickle does this and, and I don't know where he resides in your world of competition for, for marketing, but, um, he, his tagline is to, to not be, not be taken by, by marketing companies. Uh, I forget exactly, um, the wording of it. I have to go back and find it. Taking advantage of, yeah. I mean, Andy, listen, he, yes, we're competing over the same people. If I lose somebody to, to social fire starter, I'm so much happier than losing them to some, you know, 16 year old in their parents' basement, just pulling money from attorneys left and right. So, yeah. And, th- and that's the thing is what I've found in, in the legal space is confusion about who is a good marketer, right? So 
there's a ton of marketing agencies and it's gotten more crowded. Like there's a ton of marketing agencies that specifically say I market for law firms. Like that's my, that's my thing. And they're not all good. They don't all do a good job. And that's part of the problem is, is figuring that out and needing to weed through all of these options and find the good ones, find the, the diamond in the rough and find the right one to work with. And it's something that my clients struggle with. And, you know, maybe ultimately one day we'll have a, a, a list of vendors, you know, preferred vendors that we recommend to, to that you work with and that might help, but it is something that people struggle with. So knowing who the good ones are, are, are out there is, uh, is an important piece of the puzzle for sure. Well, the beauty of it is literally every business has the same problems. At the end of the day, we all want to make more money for less work or at least for easier work. And so a huge component of that is marketing. You know, the more cases that come in, the better those cases are, the better those clients are, the more the value is, the less, you know, the less work you have to do or the easier the work is to do. And that's everybody. I mean, go talk to, go talk to brewery owners, go talk to insurance people, go talk to, you know, tax, tax attorneys or accountants or bookkeepers. Everyone's going to have the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same, same conundrum, right? So trying to figure that out. And I think a lot of it is learning. A lot of it is figure. you know, you got to get into the weeds. You got to understand your market. You got to understand your, your geographic region, your options. Uh, and some of that will get assisted with a marketing agency and, you know, let them do what they do best. But you also need to understand what's going on. You can't just hand it off to somebody and say, here, you do it. And then I can just run my law practice and not worry about it. Uh, you really need to understand what they're doing and how to know whether it's working or not and whether you need to do other things in addition to it and, and what's required of you to make them a success. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that at least for me, that's the goal. The goal is to be, to be able to be fully hands off, but that's not a six month goal. That's not a year goal. You know, that might be a three-year goal for a two or three-year goal for, you know, you find the right marketing company, but who knows, you know, tomorrow they could pass a law or change a statute that completely undermines your entire case and the marketing stuff, you know, you need to completely change avenues, which is unfortunate. Yeah. That's the reality that we live in. Yeah, unfortunately that does happen. And I, my background's accounting and, you know, Trump came in and new tax law and, and all of a sudden, you know, accountants thought, oh my gosh, we're going to be out of business simplifying the tax code. Turns out that he, you know, really gave us this section 199A, the QBI deduction, which creates all kinds of business for accountants. But you never know. You never know when, when something is going to significantly affect your, your business, your industry, your ability to, to make money and you need to be ready to pivot. I'm a big proponent of focusing in on one practice area and one niche, but ultimately if once you've conquered that practice area, you've conquered that niche, there's nothing wrong with adding another one uh, because you, you've now figured out all the pieces you need to figure out, let that piece run and now just start again with another niche or another practice area. And then this way you're also spreading yourself. You're not having all your eggs in one basket where if the law changes, if things change, the landscape changes, you're not stuck with, with your entire practice drying up. So Jordan, uh, one of the things that you're going to uh, come across or you've already come across is you're the marketing guy, right? And you help a law firm bring leads in, but if they don't do a good job in closing those leads, uh, then essentially they, they might turn around and say, hey, you're not doing a good job. So 
what do you do to, to filter those people out in, on, at the onset? What do you do to help them in that process to make sure that they actually are, uh, do have a journey that will lead to a close or you do not get involved in that at all? No, I mean, that's a huge component of setting up Lawmatics for them. I mean, they may be the worst salesperson in the world, but if we write really good drip campaigns about, you know, prior great reviews they've had on awards that they've won and what sets them apart from the attorney down the street, then, you know, them just being a nice person over the phone or, or at that consultation may be enough because we're supporting you with the sales stuff. You know, I always, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big Clio fan. I know you mentioned about uh, them bringing, you know, buying out Lexicata for Clio Grow, but Clio does their year-end legal trends. And I think that's one of the best studies done on attorneys. And it found like 68% of attorneys don't follow up. And so there, you know, you're sitting right there. And if they, if somebody sits down with three attorneys, statistically two of them will never go back to that client or potential client to try and follow up. If I can make you the one who does, then you may get a close solely because there was a follow-up email and it may not matter what the email says. You know, the email could say, Hey, hope you have a good day. You know, I'm wearing pants today. Click here to pay us the retainer, but that may be enough for somebody when every other attorney never comes back to them. Right. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And, and something we spoke about a lot when that trends report came out back in, in uh, November of, of, of last year and uh, was, was also a good, uh, good piece for my friend Maddie Martin from Smith AI to try to convince people to take on their virtual reception service because, right. uh, you know, not having, they take over not just the answering of the call, but also some of that follow-up during the sales process and communication on the website with the chat bot. So there's definitely things that you can do to enhance the interaction that somebody is having with your firm. All right. So Jordan, as we are uh, wrapping up time here, running out of time, this has been a, a great conversation. Any final pieces of information that you want to share with our audience? Any, um, you know, top tips, something, something lasting that they can take and, and do something with today to say, okay, if I do this one thing, that's going to make a difference for me. What do you think? So let's say uh, it's a tough question. You know, the softballs sometimes are the hardest ones to hit. Um, the biggest thing for me to give somebody advice right now that they can do something for free is, you know, you tell your clients why they should hire you. They shouldn't go their own way because you're an expert in the field because you've got this training, you've got this experience, et cetera. But then when you run into a situation of something that you're not good at, you put yourself as the client and you try to do it yourself as opposed to hiring the expert. So what I would love to say is, you know, to the extent that you can, as much as you financially can treat yourself the same way you treat clients and, and bring in those experts and hire them. And that may be somebody for marketing help, or you may be fantastic at that and you may need to outsource real legal work or, you know, or it could be as easy as just having somebody else mow your lawn because you hate doing it. They're great at it. And then in exchange for that, you know, you go grab lunch with somebody or you go hang out and grab a beer with three or four friends and market that way. I mean, you know, as a, as business owners, we don't just have to look at cost. We have to look at opportunity cost. And I think, you know, the people that rolled their sleeves and constantly want to work harder or work more hours or something like that will find themselves stuck in the same problem because they don't want to work smarter and they don't want to make the experts, you know, allow the experts to do their own job. So maybe that's not, maybe that advice, the advice is free. The execution of it may not be free. But in the long run, I think you put yourself in a much better spot than trying to do everything yourself. 
Yeah, I love I love that that was your your parting piece of wisdom because it's it's so true, and it, it's in every aspect of of your firm. I see it a lot on the you know, the bookkeeping side. Either your books are a mess, or you're trying to do your own bookkeeping. And if you don't absolutely love bookkeeping, then freaking outsource that thing so that you can actually know your numbers and be able to operate your business from a perspective of, of understanding what's going on and actually making decisions that, uh, that make sense based on the reality of the situation and not just your, your, your belief of what might be happening. So when it comes to marketing, good point, Jordan, you know, either spend the money on the marketing to have somebody professional do it or spend money on other things to open you up, to free you up for those opportunities where you can create uh, those possibilities for yourself and for your firm. Jordan, this has been absolutely fun. I appreciate you being here. Why don't you take a moment and just let people know where they can follow up with you if they, if they want to contact you directly? Uh, what's the next step for them to take to get into your world? Sure. So in the in going back to something I said before, but I always try to be funny. So it's Legal Ease Marketing, E-A-S-E. So I literally created the name of the marketing company around a pretty you know solid lawyer dad joke. So LegalEaseEASEMarketing.com. Um, you can check us out there. You can check us out on Facebook. Right now, what we're doing for the entirety of this year, we're doing the 15-minute firm fix. So there's like one to two-minute video that we drop every single day that gives you about a 15-minute task that you can work on for your firm. Most of them are free. So we went through you know, some of the different lawyer directories. You can go ahead and update. And it was amazing. I got an email a couple weeks ago that somebody had gone through and updated their Justia profile or something like that and then signed up a $6,000 case two weeks later off the free Justia profile. So they were very happy with me. I was very happy for them. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll continue to follow the videos and get more and more success. Awesome. Awesome. So folks go check that out. We'll link it up in the show notes as well. If you're in the iTunes podcast player or any of the other ones, we try to create those links. So it shows up right in the description of the episode. Some of them, it works really well and some of them doesn't work so well, but you can always reach any of our episodes by just going to profitwithlaw.com forward slash, and then the number of the episode. I don't know what number this episode will be, so I'm not giving it here, but profitwithlaw.com forward slash, uh, for example, zero six nine would be episode 69. So just look at the number of this episode and you can go to the show notes. We'll link everything up there as well as the legal ease website. And uh, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time and everybody here appreciates the wisdom and, and sharing of information. Thank you so much for having me. Have you been enjoying the show? We sure hope so. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. Next week, we will be back with more valuable resources and ideas on how to break the mold and take your law firm to the next level.